Amazing Grace, 2 Samuel chapter 9. You know, here's a question we need to ask ourselves. What is the picture as Christians today that we are showing those who don't know Christ? What is the picture of grace? Is that the picture of what the amazing grace of Christ looks like? Or does it look a little bit different? Matter of fact, I want to show you a picture from Scripture that shows us the amazing grace of God this morning. We're going to look at a typology. And what a typology is, it's the foreshadowing. In the Old Testament in particular, there would be foreshadowings of the Christ to come. In this particular instance, we're going to see a foreshadowing, and I believe in this instance we can use Mephibosheth as ourselves. When you read the Bible and you read stories, it's not meant to just be an inspirational story or a, a nice story for you to read. The purpose is for you to see yourselves in the character. In this particular incident or incidents, I believe that we should see ourselves as Mephibosheth. And we're going to read about him in just a moment. And then we see David as a picture of God Almighty, a typology, a foreshadowing of the life to come. Now, as we look at this story, uh, actually it starts back in 1 Samuel. And what happened was there was uh, the nation of Israel anointed Saul as their king. And Saul was the first king, and he uh, had a son named Jonathan. But Samuel, the prophet, on God's command in 1 Samuel chapter 16, anointed David, while he was still a boy, to be the king, to be the future king. But that didn't stop Jonathan, who would have been the, the, uh, the next king uh, had they gone in the proper uh, lineage of succession, from being best friends with David. He knew that David had been anointed. He knew that potentially he would be the king and not Jonathan. Jonathan still became best friends with David, and they loved one another. What's interesting is through that process, Saul sought to kill David. And he took, took opportunities as often as he could because of his paranoia and because of his just insecurity of what he thought David might do to him even though David time and time again had proven himself as loyal to the king, even though he had instances where he could have killed the king, he didn't because he said, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed. Well, finally, the day comes. Saul has been disobedient. He has not followed the direction of God or the prophet Samuel who has spoken to him time and time again. And he goes to war at Jilboa. And even though he shouldn't have been there at this time, he goes ahead and proceeds... And he gets there, and Jonathan is killed, and, and it's apparent that he is probably going to lose his life. And so he falls upon a sword and actually kills himself. And when word gets back to those back home, they realize that David will be king now, certainly since Jonathan has died. And a little civil war breaks out, and there's a lot of fighting that goes on, and many people in the house of Saul are killed. And one of the servants who had who had probably cared for young Mephibosheth, who was Saul's youngest son, picks him up when she hears the word, and she takes off running. She takes off running toward the border. But as she is running, she falls. And when she falls, she breaks the ankles of young Mephibosheth. He's only five years old at this time. And she doesn't have time to care for him, or either she doesn't know how, and she continues on to run. Mephibosheth growing up, crippled from that point in his life. 
He goes to a place called Lodabar, which is right on the Arabian, the Arabian uh, desert wilderness, right on the basically the country line, so to speak, as far away from Jerusalem, as far away from David as they could get. And there he begins to live as a crippled young boy. And he will reside there for the next 17 years. Let's pick up our story here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> and David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David had made a covenant with Jonathan that he would be kind to his household when he became king. And now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they called him to appear before David. And the king said unto him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. And the king asked, Is there no one left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Isn't it interesting how he responds? He said, he asked Ziba, who had been the servant of Saul, he said, is there any way or anyone I can show kindness to? Is there anyone I can bless from Jonathan and Saul's house? And he said, yeah, Jonathan had one son left, but he's crippled. And in that day and age, particularly in the Semitic culture, many believed that if you were impaired physically, that that was a curse of God. Now, God never taught that. The Scriptures never teach that. But that was kind of a mysticism that prevailed in that day. There was no social reform. There was uh, no care for the handicapped. And so they would view it as either you must have sinned or maybe your parents sinned, and this is the curse that's been placed upon you. And so it's kind of your fault. That's just too bad. And young Mephibosheth had grown up in that manner. Going from the palace to the desert, going from one who walked proudly, even as a small child, to one who couldn't walk at all. And so, David says this, as God our Father says to us, Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, He's at the house of Makar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makar, the son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth. And your servant replied. And then he said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That verse, or excuse me, that particular phrase is used 366 times in Scripture. It's the most common command that Scripture gives us. Fear not, be not afraid. Something of that nature, it tells us not to fear. Here is Mephibosheth. He's probably dreamed about this day. Maybe he dreamed when he was a small child that one day maybe I could go back to the palace. I wonder what it would be like if I still lived in the palace. And maybe the servant and those who had lived with him and said, you know what, you ought to be glad you're not there. You ought to be glad David doesn't know where you are because if he knew where you are, he'd probably kill you. You know, that's just uh, common protocol. When another reigning family comes in, they dispose of the existing family. So you ought to just be glad that you're here and he doesn't know you exist. Maybe he had dreamed that one day there would be a knock on the door and that day would come and he'd cart him off and he'd kill him. Well, now that day has come. 
And David says, do not be afraid. Fear not. Don't you know he was trembling before the king? And this is what is said to him by David. For surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? You know, Mephibosheth has had a pretty tough life at this point. started off well, but then he's dropped. What about you? Have you ever been dropped in life? Have you ever been dropped emotionally, physically, maybe dropped for your employer? Mephibosheth is dropped. But 17 years later, a knock comes on the door, and he's picked up. Not only is he picked up, but he's restored to the table. The table of the king where he would have naturally and normally sat. And even though he's lame, even though people are quick to let him know, the king doesn't care. There's a typology for us. There's a picture that we were dropped by the curse of sin, but we have been picked up by the Son. And we are fully restored for all who have received His grace and forgiveness first thing that I notice here, starting in verse 3, is that God's grace pursues us. It pursues us. Don't you remember what it was like to be pursued? Either maybe it was by your spouse when you were first dating and they pursued you. Maybe it was by an employer. Somebody was trying to get you to come to work for them. Doesn't it feel good to get pursued? You know what I mean? Or maybe it was a social organization. Maybe it was even Rock Point Church. You started getting calls from people, got stuff in the mail, and we pursued you, and you like that. Maybe you went somewhere else and you didn't get pursued, and you didn't like that so much. We like to be pursued, even if we have to say no. <laughs> we like to be pursued, don't we? Can I tell you this? The amazing grace of God is constantly pursuing you. Oh, you may not feel it. You may be stuck in your situation you may be crippled by fear or by an event or by someone. And it's easy to just kind of blind ourselves and shut down. But you know what? God is pursuing you. But He's too much of a gentleman to just barge in. He's waiting for an invitation. He's waiting for you to open the door of your life and invite Him in. The grace of God is pursuing you. See, while He didn't even know it, while He didn't even understand it, Mephibosheth, thinking that his life was one of continued sorrow. You see, his name probably initially was Mirabah, which meant opponent of Baal, which was a pagan god. But during this time, his name had been transformed to Mephibosheth, which means man of shame. This is all I'm going to have. This is as good as it will ever get. You know, I'm sure there were some other folks in the Scriptures felt that way. You ever thought about what Joseph must have thought? I mean, all he did was be faithful. He's faithful here, and his brothers throw him in a pit, and then they sell him off to slavery. <clears throat> he's faithful there, so he's picked up by Potiphar. He's a, he's a servant. He's entrusted with all the household. But then Mrs. Potiphar makes a move on him, and because of his righteousness, he resists her, and then he gets thrown in jail again. And here he is in jail, and he's done nothing wrong. He tries to help out the... The baker, the butcher, the candlestick maker tries to help these guys out. And what happens? They forget him. They don't remember him. And he's thinking, I just keep trying to do what's right. 
Has God forgotten me? Where's the grace of God for me? And then one day, the knock comes. He's picked up. Moses. Remember the story of Moses? How Moses, is he stands up for his countrymen and he has to leave because he killed an Egyptian who was beating one of his fellow countrymen. He takes off and he's in the desert for over 20 years. He's out there in the desert. Matter of fact, some scholars say as long as 40. Don't you know he wondered, golly, what happened? What did I do wrong? I was in the palace and now I'm in the desert. And I'll die out here an old man with my life meaning nothing but hurting sheep. And then one day, there's a burning bush. You know, maybe you're sitting there and go, I wish I'd get a burning bush. Can I tell you, most of us have gotten some kind of burning bush. But most of us want to blow it out or call it something else and just keep going. And so we know the story of how he took on a God-sized task, how he went back and faced the Pharaoh. Or David himself. He did nothing wrong. He kept trying to honor Saul, but Saul kept trying to kill him. And he's destined in caves and in the desert and the wilderness, running because he's been righteous. And here's Mephibosheth. He's in Lodabar. What a place to live. It's the equivalency of living in the desert of New Mexico in a small trailer out in the desert. And there ain't nobody coming to see you. You're at the end of the road. Water's scarce. Lodabar means without pastures, without green pastures. Just a desert area where no one would come to look, where no one would care. Oh, he's out there? Well, I'm sure not, I'm sure not walking across that desert and going over there. He can just stay there. Besides, I heard he's lame. He's there, and even though this isn't very appealing, don't you know that when the door and when the knock came on the door and said, Mephibosheth there? Yeah, he's in the back. Get him. The king wants to see him. Don't you know he was tempted to say, uh, Tell him I'm busy. I, you know, I can't walk. I can't go anywhere. I'm just. I tell him I'm no threat. I'll just stay here. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't. I, I, I don't have anything to wear. You know, I, I, there's no way. We don't have a cart that will carry me that far. I can't walk. Tell Kelly King, you know, I, I love him, respect him. I voted for him last time. Just tell him, though, I'm going to be staying here. And uh, if he doesn't mind, and I'm really sorry, I'll write a little note of apology. But he picked up and gone. You know, a lot of times the knock comes on the door, and we, not necessarily that we enjoy where we are, we enjoy our load of bar, but it's just, I know it. It's easier to live here. I, I know my neighbors right over here, and I, I know what I'm going to get every day, and I know what my meal's going to be, and, and it's just easier for me to stay because that's the unknown, and that seems kind of scary. Yeah, I know there's a palace over there. I know there's lots of people, and I know they're green pastors, but I don't know that they'll like me over there. I don't know how they treat people like me. I think I'd rather just stay here happens every day. What about you? Are you stuck in your Lodabar? For 17 years he had been there. And grace now was calling him to fear not to take a step, even if it meant death. And so he continues on and this is where he discovers what he was intended to be. David brings him in and says, Fear not, I'm going to give you everything that your grandfather Saul had. Everything that would have been your father, 
I'm going to give to you. You know why? Not because you've earned or deserved it, but because of my relationship with Jonathan, the son of the king. You're going to get it all. You know, when I first came to seminary, I moved over here to Fort Worth almost 18 years ago, and I didn't know anybody here. And I got here the first week, and people just weren't really that friendly, quite frankly. And even at the seminary, and I tried to be nice to the lady who was registering me, and she didn't seem to care. I looked for the oldest person on campus who was working as a custodian, he didn't want to talk to me either. And I was just kind of lonely. I was looking for a nice face, somebody who would smile when they saw me. And I wasn't finding it. And uh, I remember <clears throat> going into the gym after I'd been there a couple of weeks uh, at the seminary there. And there was a girl there that I knew from college. I saw her and I said, Kara. And she'd been a friend of mine at college. As a matter of fact, she'd been my roommate's girlfriend. I said, Kara. She goes, nope. I'm thinking, you look like Kara. <laughs> and she goes, well... Actually, that's my twin sister. She said, did you grow up in Louisiana? Did you go to school in Louisiana? She goes, yeah. She goes, my twin, that's my twin sister. I have an identical twin sister. I didn't know that. And so here's her identical twin sister, but I think this is my friend. And sometimes I just go in there anyway. And I think that was my friend. And I would talk to her, and I'd call her by the wrong name, and she'd correct me. And uh, I'd ask her about somebody she knew nothing about. Because it just kind of made me feel good to see a familiar face. You know what? I think that's what... I think that's what David saw when he looked at Mephibosheth. He saw the face, and his name was Mephibosheth, but he saw Jonathan. He saw his friend who had, he had made a commitment to, who he had had a covenant relationship with. Do you know that that's what God Almighty does to us? When he looks down and he sees his children, he sees the face of Jesus because His blood has been applied on our account for all who receive His grace and forgiveness and have committed our life to Him. He sees us as His Son. He sees us as His daughter. Grace is where you discover what you're intended to be. You know, and they did a study in Pennsylvania, at the University of Pennsylvania in the 60s, and they did it with dogs. This was before, I'm sure, the time uh, of animal reform. And uh, they, because they would put these dog collars and they would shock these dogs, and they did it just randomly throughout the day for 10 days. And no matter what the dog did, he was going to get shocked. And then after 10 days, they put them in another box and there was just a small stick that they would step over that line, the shocks would stop and they wouldn't get them anymore. And normally, the dogs would learn very quickly. Within a period of minutes, they would learn, if I stand over here, I won't get shocked. But what they found, because of 10 days of that continual shock that was random, that didn't mean matter what they did, that the dogs, they just couldn't learn it. They were just stuck. And so they just continued to live as if they were going to get shocked regardless of what they had done. You know, it's the way that we will naturally become as humans. The Bible says that Jesus came in John 10.10 to bring us life and to bring it abundant, but Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And what he wants to tell you is he wants to whisper to you that this is as good as it'll get. It'll never get any better. You are stuck. Just stay where you are. Don't move. Just stay here. You go out, it'll only get worse. You take a step forward, it'll only get harder. And you know what? The step ahead might be harder. It might be more difficult. You know what's interesting, though? Secular psychologists have found that when you come against adversity, when you work through it, it builds your self-esteem. When you run from it, it lowers your self-esteem. Isn't that amazing? No wonder Jesus said, or no wonder the Bible tells us, fear not, 366 times in Scripture. One for every day of the year plus leap year. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Don't get stuck. 
If you get stuck, it's over. This is it. But I want you to take a step. For some of you, you need to emotionally take a step. Some of you, you need to spiritually take a step. You need to say, God, I'm going to take a step towards you. And if that means serving, I will serve. If that means helping with children, helping with adults, helping in the nursing home, working at CCA, whatever it means, God, if it means beginning to read a Bible I don't understand, I'm ready to take a step, God. And I'm not just going to stay here and pretend like things are going to get better because that's the definition of insanity. I've got to take a step ahead. I've got to move. God is calling us to move, to take a step out of Lodabar. Are you in Lodabar? Are you stuck there because it's comfortable? Because you know it? Because it's working? Not well. Not good. But I know what to do with it. What about you this morning? You know what's great as you move on in verse 11? Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son, and his name was Micah, which means, Who is like the Lord? And all the members of Ziba's household were the servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, even though he was lame. What a beautiful picture of us. That we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even though we were stuck in our sins, Christ died. And He has invited us to come to His table. That picture of the table to eat in the Jewish Semitic culture, that was full acceptance. You are one of me. I fully accept you. matter of fact, they go another step here uh, in 2 Samuel and said He became like one of the king's sons. Full intimacy. Even though you were lame. What is grace? Grace is this. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is this. It's where you experience in God's favor at the expense of His Son. You see, Mephibosheth was experiencing the favor of Saul's son. Not because he had done anything. All he, had, all he did was be born and then show up. <laughs> but some of us don't even like to show up. <laughs> some of us, we can get stuck at home watching television. We can get stuck at home reading the paper. We get stuck at home wondering, why did this happen to me? Why am I where I am? And not taking a step. And can I tell you, God has some steps that aren't going to be easy for you to take. He has some steps that are going to be difficult, that are going to be hard. And there are going to be some people sometimes that tell you, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't do anything. I'd just stay where I am. I bet you some of the folks told Mephibosheth that. Yeah, I'd just stay here. I mean, you ought to be lucky. If you go over there, boy, you're going to be in big trouble. And just stay here. Yeah, I know you're crippled. I know it's a desert. I know you've got no future, but you ought to stay here with me. Where do you think that voice is coming from? You think that's God calling you? You think that's God saying, stay stuck. Just stay stuck. Stay miserable. That's where I want you to stay. Mirabah, opponent of Baal. Mephibosheth, man of shame. Let me tell you, God never wants us to stay in shame. If He's your child, you know what? It doesn't look good for Him. <laughs> he doesn't want you walking around in a spirit of shame, in a spirit of disillusionment, of a spirit of defeat. That's why He says, fear not. I'm not promising it will be easy. I'm not promising all the pain will go away. I'm not promising you that this is something you would have picked for yourself. Matter of fact, it probably won't be. 
But I am telling you this, if you want to grow with me, if you want to experience grace, if you want to experience transformation, then come, follow, walk with me, talk with me. Let me put my yoke upon you. Take the yoke that you have, that someone else has put on you, if you've put upon yourself, take that yoke off and let me put my yoke upon you. For it fits and it will work. God's riches at Christ's expense. question for you is how do you receive this grace? What will you do with the grace that's been extended to you? You know, there was a man one time and he had a wife named Jennifer and Jennifer was uh, diagnosed with a condition that she was going to be going blind and within a year she'd gone fully blind. And Mark was her husband's name and she went into a deep despair and deep depression. And during this time of depression, she wanted to just quit and give up on life. But Mark continually encouraged her to stay strong, that there was purpose in life for her to keep going. And little by little, she began to come out of the despair, and he convinced her to go back to work. So after a year, she went back to work. And he he picked up his wife, put her in the car, took her to work, walked her across the parking lot, up the stairs, to the door, to her desk, sat her down at her desk, and then would leave and then go back to the base. He was actually a military officer and go back to the base where he worked. He did this for a few weeks, and then he realized that this wasn't going to work forever. They were, he had to go across town. It wasn't best for either one of them, and he was going to have to make some other provisions. So he told her, he said, Jennifer, here's the deal. You're going to have to learn to ride the bus to get to work. And she said, you know, I feel like you're abandoning me. And she began to cry. But eventually he said, I'll, I'll go with you until you get comfortable. So for a couple of weeks, he would get on the bus with her, and he would ride the bus, and then he would get off the bus and walk her across the, um, the parking lot, up the stairs, and into the office. After a couple of weeks, he set her off on her own. She'd done that a few weeks when one day she was getting off the bus, and the bus driver said to her, he said, You know, you're very fortunate to have somebody that cares about you so much. And she said, excuse me, are you talking to me? She go, he goes, yeah, I'm talking to you. He said, you're so lucky to have somebody that cares so much about you. He said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, I notice every day that I let you off this bus that there's a man in a uniform across the street and he watches you. and He keeps his eyes on you as you come off the bus, as you walk across the parking lot, as you walk up the steps, as you put your hand, your hand on the doorknob and open it. And as the door closes, he always salutes you and he blows a kiss. You're so lucky to have someone that's watching you. Can I tell you this morning that the grace of God is watching you this morning? Regardless of where you are, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, He opens His arms and says, I want you to leave Lodabar. I want you to come join me. I want you to embrace me. I want you to experience the life that I have for you. Not necessarily monetarily, not necessarily that all your physical conditions will change. We know that um, we know that Mephibosheth continued to be crippled, but he was in the presence of the king. He continually ate at the table. The king didn't care. He didn't even see it. He only saw him as he saw the son of Saul, Jonathan. This morning, if you've received the grace and forgiveness of Christ, God sees you in that manner. This is the question you have to ask. What will you do with grace today? I want to encourage you to do four things. Number one, first realize that you are being sought 
by the King. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number two, understand what you deserve from the King. Romans 6.23 tells us for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We deserve death, but the King is offering life. Accept the provision of the King. That you accept the grace and the forgiveness. It's not by works or deeds, but by grace that you have been received, that you have been offered life. And commit your life to the request of the King. What about it this morning? What about you? Where are you at this point? Are you willing to take another step? You can say, oh, I tried that before, it didn't work. You know what? You may take a step and things may not change tremendously. Matter of fact, they may change so little that you don't notice it. It's kind of like working out. But can I tell you this? As you continue to take that step of faith, as you continue to be obedient, not only as your physical body will change as you work out, your spiritual body begins to change. And you see, God begins to restore hopelessness with hope. He begins to restore a life that felt defeated with a life that's victory as you walk through those doors, as you take those challenges, as you determine, you know what? I'm intended to be this. I'm intended to be a godly mother, a godly father, a godly husband, a godly wife. I'm intended to be one who makes an impact in my neighbor's life, in the people in my, that I work with's life. I'm intended to be a light. I can share the love of Christ with children in this church. I can make an impact with young boys and girls here at this church or those that God puts in my life. That's the purpose I was intended, to share His light and share His glory. And when I get stuck on me, I don't do that. And I'm in low to bar. God wants you to quit thinking about what it is that you didn't have or didn't get or what happened to you and saying, you know what? In spite of the lameness of my sin, He's going to use me. He wants to make an impact. This is what I was intended to be, not stuck. We're about to receive from the table of communion here this morning. And you know what this table's not for? This table is not for those of you who figure like you've got it all figured out and you've been really, really good and you deserve this table. You've worked really hard and you've earned a spot at the table of Christ. You know all the verses. It's not what it's for. You know what it's for? It's for those of you who said, you know what? If you only knew some of the things I thought this week, if you only knew some of the things that I've done, if you only knew that I really don't even understand the Bible, I don't even really understand what we're doing here. I'm just searching. I'm seeking God. This table is for you. Those of you who would receive of the grace, not try to earn it or deserve it, but to receive of the gift that He is offering you this morning.